Alrighty, we are on the bottom of 8a, Chet Amud Aleph, and um, the last line on the page. Um, we're just going to reread this in order to uh, introduce the next uh, Amud, the next page of the Gemara. Alright, last line. Amar Rav Hunavar Yehuda Amar Rabbi Ami, Rav Huna said in the name of Rabbi Ami, Ba'olam Yashlem Adam Parshiosav Imat Sibor. One should always try to make sure to finish the Torah reading with the congregation, Shnayim Mikra Ve'echal Targum, reading the Hebrew two times and a translation one time. The Aramaic translation is what this is referring to, um, but this probably works as well with an English translation, whatever you would actually understand. And what this means is that um, every single week before you get to that week's Torah reading, so for instance, um, the upcoming Torah reading for this next Saturday is Vayishlach. So you should have read the Torah reading of Vayishlach two times, as well as a translation one time, in order to become fluent in the Torah reading by the time you get to the Torah reading of that week. So now we're on the top of 8b, or Chet Amod Bet. Um, and you even should, this, this applies even to Ataros Vidivon, which means there are two names of the cities, there are two names of cities, and um, even though it would seem, and even though it would seem that the Aramaic translation of these cities is the same as the Hebrew, um, and therefore maybe you could skip the translation part of the uh, process, we still say you should read these names th three times, um, two times in Hebrew and then one time in Hebrew again, um, as because the, at, that is the Aramaic translation. Um, and we are continuing, the top line, because anyone that finishes the Torah portions together with the congregation, his... Um, Days and years will be lengthened. Rav Bibi Barabaye Savar Le Ashlominhu Le Parshusa Parshiasa De Kulahu Shasa Bamali Yoma De Kipuri. Rav Bibi, what he used to do is he used to try to read all of the Torah portions and finish um, and um, finish the entire Torah reading um, in this fashion, all on the uh, Erev Yom Kippur, on the um, day before the evening of Yom Kippur. Uh, he would do this in order to be able to amass all of this merit at such an important and auspicious time. Just by the way, the reason we're talking about this um, program of reading the Torah in the Hebrew two times and a translation once now um, is because right before that we were talking about different lessons when it came to the Torah reading. So now we're continuing on that note. Okay, so that's what he used to do. Um, so, Tana Barav Mi Difti. So, it was told to him though, by Chia Barav, that doesn't it say, Ksiv, Ve'ini Semes Nafshoseichem Betishala Chodesh Ba'erev? Doesn't the verse say that you shall afflict your soul? Um, on the ninth of the month in the evening. Now, Yom Kippur is on the 10th, so wouldn't the affliction be on the 10th? We fast on the 10th. Why is it saying the 9th? Do we fast on the 9th? Don't we fast on the 10th? Rather, it's to teach you, by saying you should afflict yourself on the 9th, it's to teach you, anybody that eats and drink on the 9th of Tishrei, the day before Yom Kippur, the Torah considers it as it's as if you fasted on the 9th and on the 10th. So what the reason that we're bringing this teaching in now was to tell was to tell um, 
Rav Bibi Barabaye that you shouldn't spend all day in Torah reading on the ninth. You're supposed to be spending as much time as you can on eating and feasting, and you have to have you have to prepare for it and make beautiful meals so that you could eat in the most incredible way, so that it's as if you fasted on that day. So it was basically telling him you shouldn't be using this time to finish all the Torah readings of the year. Instead, you should finish use this time to prepare for Yom Kippur by eating and drinking. So then what he wanted to do is he, he decided he was going to take a different approach. So he then decided that he was going to finish all of the Torah readings in a short period of time, maybe even within one or two weeks, and do them all at one chunk, probably to just get it over with to make sure that he accomplished his obligation. But then it was told to him, but then an elder person told him, um, Tanina, didn't we learn, didn't we say that you should not do it early and you should not do it late, rather you should do it in the regular process of the Torah reading, in the regular system of the Torah reading, which is one Torah portion a week. That's how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> Like Rabbi Shubhan Levi told his children, Make sure that you complete the Parsha together with the congregation. Um, you should read it with uh, two times reading, one time with the translation. Translation, And he also would tell a couple of other things to his children. You should make sure that when you are slaughtered, again, you should be very careful when slaughtering, when ritually slaughtering, so when shechting a, um, a bird, that you also make sure to cut the jugular vein. Rabbi Yehuda, like Rabbi Yehuda says, we learned in a mission, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer Rabbi Yehuda says, that even though you've already slaughtered in the normal way, which is the slaughter of the esophagus um, and the trachea, um, when it comes to a bird, you also need to slaughter the. You also need to cut the jugular veins. Um, so that was another thing Rabbi Shubhan Levi um, warned his children about. And the last thing is Vizaru Bizakin Shishachach Talmudo Machmas Onso. And we sh you should also be very careful to give proper respect to an older person that has forgotten his Torah learning, um, and it was out of his hands. Meaning he forgot his Torah learning because his mind, um, his mind. Wasn't working as well, and is, is wasn't working as well anymore. You still have to make sure that you treat them with the respect that you would have treated them had they still had all of their Torah. They still had remembered um, all of their Torah learning, and this is a very beautiful concept. De Amrinan, because we say luchos v'shivrei luchos munachin ba'aron. As we know, Moshe um, got the tab the tablets, the Ten Commandments, twice. The first time he shattered them, and the second time he got them intact. And interestingly enough, they were both kept in the holiest place in the entire, the holiest place of the Jewish people, which was in the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And not only were the intact tablets put it there, but so were the broken ones. And it's there to remind us that even though somebody may have forgotten their Torah learning, um, not purposefully, but against their will, um, it's just as holy and just as important to show them respect as somebody that may still remember everything that they've learned. So um, that's one of the ideas that the Gemara used. That's one of the ideas the Gemara learns from the fact that the broken tablets and the intact tablets were, are both in the um, Ark of the Covenant. Amruhu Rava Livene, Rava said to his children, so now that we're talking about um, instructions that rabbis gave to their children, we're going to talk about some more instructions that different rabbis gave to their to their children. So we're at Amr Lahu Rava, so um, I would say a third lot way down, 
a third way up from the wide lines. Amrlu Rava Rava said, to his children, when you cut meat, do not cut it on top of your hand, meaning cut it on a board, not onto your hand. Some say, remember, means some say, so some say this is because of danger, meaning obviously if you cut it on your hand, you could possibly cut your hand off. And some say it's because of you'll ruin people's appetite because they'll see that you're cutting it on your hand and your hand may be dirty or whatever it may be and it'll be disgusting to people and people won't want to eat. Va'al, and now another instruction that Rava would give to his children, Va'al teshvu amita aramis, do not sit on the bed of an Aramean woman, Va'al tavru achori beisaykneses and do not walk past the shul, walk right past the shul, a synagogue when people are praying inside of the synagogue. So now we have to understand what the reason is for the last two teachings that Rava gave to his children. We are at the second last period before the lines get wider. Valtesho Mitaramis, do not sit on the bed of an Aramean. Ika da Amri lo tignu below Kriyashma, the Ika da Amri de lo tinsivu giorta. There are two ways to understand this. Number one, the reason that you can't sit on the bed of an Aramean woman, one is so that you do not, um, one means that just don't fall asleep without saying Shema, which is basically because then it's like the bed of an Aramean, meaning because a non-Jewish person doesn't say Shema before going to sleep. So make sure you say Shema before going to sleep. And the second one is Rava is speaking to his children and they are Kohanim. They are priests and a Kohen is not allowed to marry a convert. Why that is, um, we'll, I, I, I was thinking that could be one of the things that we discuss um, in our in-person session. Um, the, the specific marital laws of a Kohen, of a priest, but one of them is you can't marry a convert, and that's, so don't sit on the bed of an Aramean woman would basically mean do not marry someone that was once not Jewish. Um, the Ikka the Aramean, some say that this is to be taken literally, Aramis Mamish, this is literally that don't sit on the bed of an Aramean, not necessarily a woman, but any Aramean. Mishumais the Rav Papa, because of what happened to the Rav Papa, the Rav Papa also gabe Aramis, there was, Rav Papa one time went to the um, house of an Aramean, Hotsiolomita, and she brought out a uh, bed for Rav Papa to sit on. Amro lo shave, and she said, sit. Amro lo, ini yoshe rashitag biyasamita. And he said, I am not going to sit until you pick up the bed and show me what's underneath. So again, she picked up the bed, and they found there a dead, the corpse of a little child. Um, meaning the idea was, as our papa was coming to collect money, she didn't want to have to pay, so she tried to get her in him in trouble to make it seem as if he had killed a little child. So basically, don't sit down before checking. Um, basically, have suspicion um, when you're with an Aramean. And from here, the sages said, one is not allowed to sit on the bed of an Aramean. We are now four, four lines down into the wide lines, and we're now going to talk about that last instruction that Rava gave his children, which was about not walking behind a shul, past the shul when people are praying in it. And do not walk past the synagogue when the congregation is praying. This is like what Rabbi Shubin Levi says. Rabbi Shubin Levi, Levi says, says, A person is prohibited from walking past a shul, the Shashat Sibra Mispalin when the synagogue is when the congregation is playing. 
Amar Abaye Abaye qualifies this. Velo Amran, we only said this, El Deleka Pischa Achrina, if there is only one entranceway. Aval Ika Pischa Achrina, but if there's a second entranceway, Les Lanba, then you could certainly walk past one of the entranceways, and that's not a problem. Because the whole problem is, is that it looks like you don't care about the shul. You don't care about prayer, because you're just walking right past. But if there's another entrance, but it's not that you actually don't care. You're just trying to get somewhere. So it's, what does it look like to others, and you're giving off the wrong impression. But if there's two entranceways, and you're only passing one of them, then the person who's watching you will just think, oh, they're going to go and use the second entranceway. Another qualification, We only said that you shouldn't pass by when the synagogue is praying, only if there's not another synagogue in the town. But if there is another synagogue, less then there's no problem because then the person watching you will just think, oh, they're probably going to go pray at the other synagogue. And we also only say that it's a problem to walk past the synagogue if, Sorry again. We also only say that you're not allowed to pass the uh, pass by a synagogue during prayer if, in fact, you are not carrying a load, or you're not running, or you are not wearing tefillin. But if you have one of these, then there's no problem with passing by. So again, because if you're running or you're carrying a load, then someone will realize they're not not going into the shul. You're not not going into the synagogue because you don't care about the synagogue. You're just occupied with something else. And if you're wearing tefillin, no one's going to think that you don't care about prayer because you're wearing tefillin. So that's why. Okay. Um, so now that we talked about Rava's instructions, we're going to continue on with an instruction that is um, similar to one of the ones that we were talking about. So let us go back into the Gemara. We are at the first colon in the wider lines. Tanya, we learned in Abraisa, Amar says, There are three reasons why I like the people from um, from Madai, Medes. Um, so this is the teaching that was similar to Rava's teaching. The reason that they that they Rabbi Kiva appreciated them was because when they cut meat, they only cut it on a table, not on their hand. They only kiss on the hand; they don't kiss on the lips or on the face, um, which I guess is good for germs. And when they are giving advice, um, they only do that in the field, meaning they believe that they they understand that the walls have ears, so they only are giving private, important advice when they're out in the fields. Ravada Barava. Ravada Barava says, Maikra, is there a is there a pasuk? Is there a verse in the Torah that is a support for this concept of doing things in the field? And it says, It says that Yaakov sent for Rachel and Leah to the field. So this is when Yaakov wanted to leave the house of Leah and Rachel's father. He knew the father wouldn't be happy, so they went out into the field to chat about it. Because the wall has ears. Tanya, we learned in a brisa. Omar, Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Gamliel says, There are three reasons, there are three things that I appreciate about the Persians. They're private when it comes to their eating. And they're private in the washroom. And they're private when it comes to their intimacy. Um, Anitsu, and now we're finishing off with a discussion about the Persians, that as much as they do some things very nicely, um, in the end, Anitsi Vesi Limekuda Shai, it says, I have commanded those that are prepared for me. 
Tanir of Yosef, what does this mean when it says the prepared ones? This is a reference to the Persians that are ready and are prepared for hell, meaning ultimately, although there were things that were appreciated about them, still they were not the greatest people. And now, after that incredibly long tangent that just went on and on, we are now back to analyzing the original Mishnah that we learned so many days ago. And we're going to talk about Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel said that you're allowed to say the evening Shema until dawn. And now we're going to talk about it. So we are one, two, three, four, five, six. We're six lines up in the medium-sized lines. Rabban Gamliel. Amr Rabbi Yehuda, Amr Shmuel. Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, Halacha Rabbi Gamliel. The Halacha is like Rabbi Gamliel, that you're allowed to say the evening Shema until dawn. Tanya, we learned in a Baraisa. Rabbi Shimon Yochai Omer. Shimon Yochai says, There are times when a person reads the Shema two times at night. Once would be before the dawn arrives, and once would be after dawn arrives, but before sunrise. And you fulfilled your obligations. One for the day and one for the night. So, for instance, let's say, so now we um, those that were in the per, the in person session. Um, understand this. We'll understand this a little bit more. But you have dawn, and then you have sunrise. Sunrise is really the beginning of the day. Yet what we're what, what uh, we're learning here is that you could theoretically say Shema twice at night. So once before dawn and once after dawn, and you will fulfill your Shema, your evening Shema obligation by the one before dawn, and your morning Shema obligation by the one after dawn, even though sunrise did not yet arrive. But now we have a question. On this, Hagufakasha, isn't this itself contradictory? Amrit, you said, You said that there are times when a person recites the Shema twice in the night. This would seem to teach us then that after dawn, before sunrise, is still considered night. And if it's still considered night, we said right after that, that you have fulfilled your obligation of Shema, once of the day and once of the night. That would seem to teach us if you can fulfill your Shema obligation of the day after dawn before sunrise, that would seem to teach us that it's actually daytime. So the teaching that we have from that Brisa is in of itself contradictory because it seems to say that after dawn, at first it says it's night, and then it says after dawn is actually day. So what is it? How do we understand this? So we say, lo, not a problem. The olam lel yahu. After dawn, before sunrise, is certainly night. So how could we call it day? And how could you fulfill your your daytime, your morning obligation of Shema? Your obligation of the morning Shema? So we answer, Because Shema is not completely dependent on day or night. It's dependent on when are people sleeping and when are people are awake. And because there are people that do get up after dawn, before sunrise, it can be considered already the time when people get up, and therefore it's an appropriate time to say the Shema during the day. And we're going to finish off with this. Amar Ba'acha Barchanina, Amar Bishuban Levi, or Ba'acha Barchanina said in the name of Bishuban Levi, Halacha, Kribishim Ben Yochai, the Lacha is like Rishim Ben Yochai, who was the person in this Baraisa that says you could say Shema once before dawn, once after dawn, and you'll have fulfilled both your morning and your evening obligations. 
Now we're going to teach it a little bit in a different way. Um, let's go for it. Some said that when Rav Acha Barchanina said the halacha is like Rebbe Shimon ben Yochai, it was on this way of understanding Rebbe Shimon ben Yochai. Because we have a different b'risa that says as follows. Rebbe Shimon ben Yochai Omer Mishum Rebbe Akiva. Rebbe Shimon ben Yochai said in the name of Rebbe Akiva. That there are times when a person could say the Shema twice during the day. Once before sunrise and once after sunrise. And you can fulfill your obligation. You can fulfill your obligation of the evening Shema and the daytime Shema. So now we're going to ask a very similar question, and we'll stop at the question, and we'll give the answer in the next podcast. Hagufakasha, we have that same type of contradiction within this one teaching. Amrit, because you begin with saying there are times when you can say Shema twice during the day. This would seem to teach us then that before sunrise, after dawn, is still is considered day. Yet, Tani, but right after that you taught, that you fulfill your obligation, once for the daytime Shema, once for the evening Shema. That would seem to teach us then that before sunrise, after dawn is actually considered nighttime. So is it daytime or is it nighttime? And uh, we will leave ourselves in suspense and continue this um, in our next podcast. I... Um, let me, let's too quickly do a review of what we said. We first talked about how important it is to read the Torah portion of the week. Um, the ideal way to do it is to read it twice in the original and then once in a translation. And we talked about how important it is. Um, we learned that interesting thing about Yom Kippur, that eating on Erev Yom Kippur on the day before Yom Kippur or the day before the evening of Yom Kippur, when the fast starts, is as if you eat, if you eat on that day, it's as if you fasted on that day. Um, and then we had all these different interesting teachings, but one of the teachings was about being very careful with the respect of somebody that forgot their Torah learning um, as they got older. Um, then we talked about the different nations, uh, what we learned, what, what we know about the Arameans and then the Persians. Um, so that was interesting as well. We talked about not going walking behind a shul, a synagogue, when the people are praying, and we gave the exceptions to that. We talked about the people from Midi, um, from Madai in Hebrew. Hermides. Um, we talked about the, and then we finally got back to our Mishnah, um, and we're focusing on the words of Rabbi Gamliel, who says you can say the evening Shema until dawn. And then we have these two brisas that would seem to qualify this, but are seem to internally contradict themselves. So um, that's what we've been talking about. We will talk about that more. As always, if you have any questions, insights, or comments, please do not hesitate. Have a wonderful day.